scripture, Lord, it accomplishes your purpose for which it was sent. So, Father, we pray that it would have the purpose in our hearts today as well, Lord, that you would do what you need to do to draw us closer to you, to help us get through whatever we're in the middle of. Lord God, we don't want to be trusting ourselves. We want to be trusting you. And we just thank you, Father, for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're, we're going to talk about what if I have a problem? I mean, it all sounds really great, you know, about following Christ, but, you know, then it can be going smooth for a while. Like, everything's great, and then all of a sudden a problem comes up, right? And it's like, oh, what do I do now? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, you know, uh, Jesus, we're talking about the ministry of Jesus and how he's ministering to the Jews and the Gentiles in Israel there. Uh, and it talks about signs and wonders. And what signs and wonders are is miracles. They're things that can't be explained by human effort or human ability. They're the things that God does, the miracles that happen because of his uh, ministry, Jesus' ministry. And we're going to see a couple of situations today where people have problems and how they dealt with the problems. The, the situations happened in the middle of life and they were going about the things that they normally do and something happened and a problem arose. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So sometimes, for you and me, when we're in the middle of our day, uh, sometimes we're working, doing whatever it is we do during the day, and there it is, a big problem. And it looks like, how in the world am I going to solve it? And it's like, you can't get past it. It's this big problem that you have to deal with. So question for everybody, how do most people deal with that? Then, if they have a problem they can't get past, what do most people do at that point? Get frustrated. Get frustrated. Some pray. Ask for advice. Yeah. Yeah. Why me? Yeah. Some people panic. Some people like worry about it all day long. Then, uh, some people call a friend. Right? They didn't that answer like. <laughs> on that game show one time, call a friend. Some people do that. Some people call a friend, and some people pray, but some people just do everything we mentioned all at the same time. <laughs> so let's look at the book of John and start with chapter 6 here. We're going to read the first 14 verses and then talk about them. Then we'll go on later into the next part of it. So sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. 
And when they all had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Okay, so it tells us right away that Jesus has been ministering to people and healing them. And not all of the things he did were listed at the beginning of that chapter. But we know it must have been quite a few times that he was healing people and ministering to people because his fame is spreading, isn't it? A great crowd comes to follow Jesus because he's healing the sick. And it tells us that Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee and he goes up on a hill and the word uh, in the NIV is actually mountain, but it could also be translated hill, that same word. And uh, taking a look at this picture here of the large hills, it was most likely, this is the, no, back please, it was most likely you see at the sea here that there's like kind of cliffs going up and then the next slide shows us that there is, um, you know, some, they're bigger than the hills around here, okay, but, but maybe it's more like Buck Hill, okay? Um, it's not really tall, tall hills. Uh, it's not mountains. So anyway, um, it's most likely like that. And the Sea of Galilee, which is, it tells us it's also the Sea of Tiberias, but it's also the Lake Tiberias. And uh, it's 64 square miles. Okay, 13 miles long and 7 miles wide. So that's not a sea, right? Um, just for comparison, just to kind of Lake Mille Lacs in Minnesota. How many of you have ever been up to Lake Mille Lacs? Okay, right. Okay, that's 207 square miles, 18 miles by 15 miles. So Lake Mille Lacs is considerably larger than the Sea of Galilee. So the sea and mountain in this passage are more accurately translated from the Greek as hill and lake okay so the people followed Jesus to the side of the hill and it might have looked something like what that second slide was in terms of the hills and he went there with his disciples and it says that Jesus looked up as he's spending time with his disciples and he sees this huge crowd coming well why would this have been then he stays there why would this have been a great spot to minister well it would have provided him with kind of a natural amphitheater as he's standing up on the side of this mountain and the people are down there um, at the side of this hill and the people are down there. It would, his voice would have carried more for them all to hear it. And they could have seen him heal the sick. They could have heard him teach. And then it tells us this random phrase right in the middle that, you know, hey, it's near the Passover. So the Passover is near and, and this... This year, Passover, you know, it's usually right around the time of Easter. It's in the month of April this year. Uh, people, Passover has to do with freedom, right? Passover celebrates the freedom that Israel had when they left Egypt, left that slavery and bondage. And the people of Israel in Jesus' day would have probably wanted freedom from the Romans because they were under the Roman rule. And so Jesus seems like this powerful person and some are maybe following him because of that, because they're thinking, man, if we're ever get, going to get under, out from under that yoke of the Roman rule, it's going to be with this guy. And everywhere Jesus went, the crowds are following him, even when he wanted some downtime. 
and this huge crowd came, and it must have been kind of out remote, away from every uh, big city or town. Apparently it's not near any place they can get food because Jesus then turns to Philip and he says, okay, Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? And it tells us that he knew what he was already going to do. And so why test Philip, do you think, with this question? Why would he test Philip and the disciples and ask them that question? Because he knows. Because he knows. Because he wanted to know how he was going to respond. He wanted to see how big their faith was. Yeah. He wanted to show them. Yeah. He, he probably wanted to say, hey, I'm about to do something, right? Yeah, he wanted to engage them in the process, get them thinking about, well, yeah, how can we do that? And so clearly Philip is not seeing the big picture here. Uh, of a miracle in the making because his first concern is what? How much money it's going to cost. And the result then is going to be too small. Even with a half year's wages, it's only going to give everyone a little bite. You know, it's just an appetizer, right? <laughs> and Philip's not thinking about the fact that they're with Jesus. He's been healing the sick. He's been ministering to people. He's been making wine from water. He's been speaking words of knowledge. And yet, Philip can't think of anything except that this is impossible. We don't have enough money and there's not enough food. So I've got a question for you. Which is the more difficult miracle for God to do, to heal the sick or feed a large crowd? It doesn't matter. They're both the same because they're both a miracle. They're both done under the power of God, yeah, Jesus is able to take the difficult, even impossible situations. Nothing's too hard for God. And Philip's like us a little bit, right? I mean, let's be honest. We can look at those guys and say, oh, man, how did he miss it, right? But he's like us a little bit. When we're in a time of trouble, we tend to look at the reasons why it's impossible to get through it instead of looking to Jesus. We think, how can this problem be solved? It's too difficult. And we look at our own resources and think, I don't have any way of doing this. We look at our shortfall. But if we look to Jesus, he's more than we could ever need. Because he's God, just like that video said, because he's God. Uh, God is El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. He is Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of the hosts of heaven. He's Jehovah Nisi, his victory banner over us. So God can take that impossible and help us get through it. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 in the NIV says, And God's able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. The New Living Translation is so good there. It says, And God will generously provide you all you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's the God of more than enough, right? And God has the power to complete his promises to you. Maybe when you've been reading the, the Bible each day, you've come across verses and thought, I wonder if that applies for me. I wonder if God will do that for me. Listen, God has the power to complete those promises, to answer those things in your life of blessing, of provision, of protection, of healing because it's who he is. 
He's God. And Philip wasn't seeing it yet. But Andrew maybe had a little glimpse of it, right? Because he came to Jesus and he said, well, here's the resources we have. There's this little boy and he has these small loaves and these small fishes. But how far will that go? I'm just not really sure. So Andrew wasn't sure what miracle could happen, but he brought what was there. He brought what they had to Jesus. And that's all Jesus asks of us, that we bring what we have to him, that we bring our talents, our desires, our lives, and miracles will happen. We can do what we couldn't do on our own. We have wisdom from God to be able to handle tough things. That's not our wisdom. That's the wisdom God through the Holy Spirit gives us. Like, ever had a thing where you thought, I, I just knew? Well, that was probably God telling you what to do. Um, and it's by the Holy Spirit's leading. In verse 10, Jesus tells the disciples, well, have them all sit down. Have the people all sit down on the, on the grassy slopes. And it's a big crowd, all right, because it says 5,000 men. Back in those days, uh, they didn't count more than the men, which is kind of a bad thing. But Jesus changed all that. Let me just tell you, women and men were no longer subservient. Women to men were all on the same level in front of the cross, guys. So anyway, they only counted men back then. And 5,000 men probably meant that there were actually, with the wives and the children, about 15,000 people or more. So, okay, that means that that wasn't the feeding of the 5,000, as it says in the Bible. It's the feeding of the 15,000 or more. And it tells us that after they all sat down, Jesus takes these, these five loaves and these two fish, and he takes it and he looks up to heaven and he thanks Father God for what they have. And he begins to break the bread and the fish into bite-sized pieces and put it into the baskets. And my theory has been with 15,000 people, he had to have multiplied the baskets too, right? Not just the fish and the loaves. And so he's breaking it out in the, into the baskets, and, uh, and he's prayed and given thanks first, and then gives it to the disciples, and they distribute it around in the crowd, which would have taken a while. And it tells us that as they have given this to the crowd, to eat, that everyone got all they needed to eat. That is a real miracle that it multiplied that much, but even that it wasn't just an appetizer. Guys, this was the main course. God gave them all they wanted to eat. And they still had, it tells us, 12 basketfuls left over. More leftovers than what they started with, right? more leftovers than what they started with. And Jesus can do that with us. He can take even a small amount of talent or our small abilities, our resources, and he can add his power to it. And it can more than meet our needs. He will more than meet the needs that you have. And it will more than bring us victory. So I have a question here again for you. Do you know of a time in the Old Testament where God did something like this, where he... Uh, took what was given and made it more to feed a crowd? Moses, maybe? He multiplied the oil? Yeah, it was a, a yeah, that's the oil in the flour, correct? Right. Okay, he, there was another example of this with a crowd, too. In 2 Kings 4, 42 to 44, 
a man came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men? His servant asked. But Elisha said, Give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord said, They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Here again, a very similar thing, much smaller crowd, much smaller deal, but still a miracle, right? The food was multiplied beyond what they needed, even though it was small to begin with, and had more left over than what they needed to eat. Uh, and it was a miracle of God, and it was done through Elisha. Mark 8, 27 and 29, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Who do people say that I am? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, You are the Messiah. See, by Jesus doing this miracle of feeding the 15,000, notice I'm changing that there, uh, by feeding the 15,000, <laughs> that he's showing the people that one greater than Elisha was there among them. Because this surpassed any miracle that had happened before. Because of the fact that he is the Son of God. He was the Messiah. Jesus didn't uh, feed those people, though, and heal them so they would make him king. And he did these things to show them who he was, that he was the Son of God, that one greater than any prophet anybody come before him because nobody who came before Jesus was the son of God. He didn't want to be their king. He wanted to be their Messiah. See, Jesus wasn't a political figure, not then and not now. When the crowd wanted to make him king, he left and he went to this private place by himself. And Jesus was making a statement here to the people about who he was and what he had come to do about his purpose. And today, Jesus is not trying to make you a Democrat or an Independent or a Republican. Jesus is not political. He wants you to become a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, to be healed and set free so you can be all he created you to be. Okay, well, let's read on and see the next person in trouble, the next people in trouble. <clears throat> Starting at verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Okay, let's stop there. So Jesus uh, goes off to the mountain, and his disciples are, you know, hanging around, maybe talking, chatting people up as they're leaving, going home from the miracle of the feeding of the, of the five or 15,000. And uh, so they're waiting, and then it starts to get dark. So they think, well, we better get in the boat and go to the other side, to Capernaum because they obviously knew that was next. Well, here's probably what the boat looked like that they climbed into. I don't know if you can see that, but, you know, 12 people would have been a little packed. 
And this is a reproduction based on right along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. They found an old uh, boat that was underneath in the ground. They dug it up. And it was from the same time as Jesus. So it's not a big boat, okay? It's not like they took a, you know, big, huge yacht or something. It's this. Okay, so as soon as they left and started crossing over toward the other side, it tells us that a strong wind and rough waters came up. And during this storm, they're trying to row to the other side. And about the halfway point of the seven-mile route, they, they see Jesus walking on the water, and they're terrified. So what do you think? Why were they terrified? Didn't they know it was Jesus? Why were they terrified? Never saw anyone walk on water before. Yeah. So have you ever seen pictures, like if you're watching like National Geographic on TV or something, of really rough seawater, how that looks, that really rough seawater? Well, we've already said this is a lake, not a sea. But have, did you see in the news a few weeks ago on Lake Superior when the winds were blowing like crazy and people were surfing on Lake Superior because the breakers were so high? Did you see that? Yeah, it was crazy, right? So Lake Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee, where it is situated, you know, those cliffs kind of on the side there, it kind of funnels the wind through, and it kicks up waves sometimes really big. If the wind is blowing really strong, it's crazy rough out there. Okay, so this is where the disciples are trying to row across. Just right after they start across, all this wind and, and the waves pick up and are really hard to get through. So imagine you're in a boat bouncing along in that and trying to get to the other side. And your boat's kind of going like this, you know. I mean, it's like all over the place. And uh, it would be hard to see. And then out of nowhere, you see Jesus walking towards you. And like that's impossible for anyone to do, right? And you'd be thinking, well, who is that? It looks like Jesus, but like, is that a ghost? Who is that? You're in the middle of a storm. Well, what you need to do if you're in the middle of a storm is not look at the storm, but look up and see Jesus. Because even though they were terrified when Jesus said, it's I, they, they said, oh, please get in the boat. They were willing to take him in. I bet they were. <laughs> and they saw the power of God, that Jesus had the power to subdue nature. He ruled over creation. He could walk on the rough water and get to the boat to rescue them. And Jesus said to the disciples, it is I. And when you look at that original language in the Greek, it's like saying I am. And what do we know about I am? Well, the great I am. The I am that I am that God said he was to Moses in Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am is the name that God said he was to Moses, to tell the rest of the people, I am that I am. That's what he said, because any time you would try to name who God is, any time you'd want to say, well, he's this, he's this, he's this, we just by saying that, we actually kind of limit who he is because we're saying he's this. When he's so much more, he's infinite, he's unmeasurable, he's the eternal, everlasting God. He is the I am, the great I am. So the di disciples, it tells us, take Jesus into the boat. And it's really interesting. It says immediately they were on the other shore. 
That's another miracle right there. <laughs> Immediately, they're there. It's kind of like Jesus comes in the boat and boom, they're there. Uh, uh, they just got there. <laughs> and so um, when you're in trouble, you just need to ask Jesus to come into the boat of your life. And miracles happen when we receive him as our Lord and Savior. When we're in trouble, when we're in need, when we're in sin, just call upon the mighty name of Jesus. Receive him as your Lord and Savior and turn the boat of your life over to him and he'll get you to the other side. So, the boater immediately reached the other side here, but that's not always how it happens in our lives, is it? Sometimes you have to go through the storm the rest of the way, but with Jesus in the boat, you know you will get there. So let's read on then in verses 25 to 40. So they get to the other side. They're there, and, and then it tells us a few verses before that the crowd realizes, oh, they've left. And so they run around the lake, which must have taken a while, and try and join him. And what it says in verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? <laughs> and Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. <clears throat> and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. <clears throat> so Jesus tells the people, you're running after me because I fed you. He says they're looking to him to give him more, more bread, more stuff, you know, but not more teaching, and not even more miracles. They're not looking for more miracles. <laughs> There's a contrast that Jesus is showing them between the natural and the spiritual with his answer for them. Because we see the natural or the physical, we focus on that more than the spiritual. And Jesus tells them the spiritual food is the most important thing. That's what your motivation should be. Our motivation in life shouldn't just be our daily needs. 
It should be for the eternal things, for eternal life, given to us when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then the people mention manna because they're thinking, well, we've seen something like this before, and not us, but back in our history. And they say, why don't you do that? And they ask him for a sign. I mean, they weren't, weren't these the same people that were just at the feeding of the 5,000? Weren't these the same people, a bunch of them? And they're saying, yeah, show us a sign. That was a sign. That was a miracle. And Jesus replied to them that the manna that the people ate in the wilderness, that wasn't from Moses. That was from heaven. That was from God the Father. In other words, don't confuse me with Moses. I'm not just a prophet. I am the Son of God. And Jesus said, the bread from heaven gives life to the world. He's telling them his purpose, to give life to the world. I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never grow, go hungry. If you believe in me, you will never thirst. And that is kind of giving them a reference back to Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your life, love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of food. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. David says he thirsts for God and that God will satisfy his soul as with the richest of food. And so in each of us, there's this deep longing for God. And we can try and fill it with other things. We can try to uh, do other things to make ourselves feel satisfied. But that hunger and thirst for God can only be filled by God. It's a powerful motivation. Our souls long for that relationship with God and only God can give us what will answer that cry. So as we look at these passages in John 6, what does that teach us to do if we have a problem? The first thing is we want to look to God's power and not our own and not others. God's power. When you're in a trial, in a difficult situation, don't look at the earthly resources you have, but look to God and to his power. When Jesus is in the boat, you not you, not, you don't have to be the one to try and conquer that situation. Jesus conquers the storm. God, God has the power to do that. His power is unlimited. He gives the spirit without measure. His love is amazing. So we need to look to God's power. And then secondly, we need to surrender what we have to Jesus Christ. Desire what he has for you. Take your resources, your desires, and your life and surrender it to him. And then ask him to speak to you and guide you each day through the power of the Bible, the word of God, and through the leading of the Holy Spirit. So surrender each day. Surrender what you have to Jesus Christ. And the third thing, ask Jesus for help and trust him. Exactly what you were talking about earlier, Pastor Steve. Trust him. Sometimes miracles happen. Sometimes we're suddenly on the other side. Sometimes we're immediately healed. But sometimes it's that Jesus is with us and he's helping us get through that difficult time. David said in the Psalms, in Psalm uh, 23, he says that the Lord guides him through the dark valley. 
that God gives him victory over his trials. It doesn't say he avoids the, the valley of the shadow of death. It says that God gets him through it. So sometimes we have to go through tough stuff. Sometimes these are difficult things, but the thing we should do then is look to God because he's the ability and the power that we need to get through it. He will get us through in Jesus' name. And that's true. We just need to, to look to his power. And then we can walk in victory. We can walk in victory over sin. We can walk in victory over the trials, the things that would hinder our relationship with God. And we can follow him and get to the other side. Would you stand as we close? Just going to ask you as you're standing to just bow your heads. How many of you would say, you know what, I, I really have a problem in my life right now. And it's been taking a lot just to get through each day. If that's you, just raise your hand. Thank you. If you want to surrender your life, your desires, and your problems to Jesus and ask him to help you, Trust him to help you get through. Just raise your hand. Okay, let's just call on the name of Jesus right now. Just, just in, in your own way, just call on him and ask him to help you get through all that. Ask him to, as you surrender your life and your problems to him, to help you and trust, you, trust uh, him to get you through. Lord God, you've, you've seen our hearts. You see our hearts and what we want to commit to you today. Lord God, I pray that as we surrender everything to you, Lord God, that you would be in our lives, guiding us, leading us. Holy Spirit, each day give us the wisdom and the power we need to follow you, Lord Jesus. Whatever we're walking through, Father, I pray we'd have the resources we need because we've surrendered it to you and you are the God of more than enough. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be tempted to try and work it out in our own flesh, in our own wisdom, in our own resources, but we would see that everything we have when we give it to you, Lord, you give us what we need then to be able to do it. You add your supernatural to our natural. We thank you, Father, for all that you're going to do in our lives. We surrender it to you. We ask you, Lord, for help, and we trust you to get us through. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.